0: The sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa hey everybody welcome back to the sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa episode 38. And it's officially been two full years since I started the long journey of creating a podcast with zero experience. So, very excited about that. And also excited to welcome our next guest host. Her name is Andy. And um, she's going to be joining us today for some fucking women and wine. And I'm very excited to have her. Thanks for
1: having me. I think I have been listening since day one. All two years, I can't believe it.
0: Your podcasting time has come.
1: I know, I'm so excited. I've been I've been dreaming of this my whole life even be t- before podcasts <laughs> existed. I knew this was my calling.
0: <laughs> Let's uh, start off by telling everybody how we know each other. Um, it's definitely an unconventional story and friendship, but very uh, 2020 to stay the least. Do you want to potentially tell the story? Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, Melissa and I work together, but we live in different coasts she's on the west i'm on the east and we've only actually physically met in person once um i flew out for work to california and i met her all of two days and then after that our friendship flourished through (laughs) gchat just like ferociously typing away about gossip at work and boy drama (laughs) and
0: it was a great friendship (laughs) yeah it's actually funny a couple of my friends specifically work friends have sent me this meme that they say is like an exact representation of who I am when I'm typing and I don't know if you've seen it but it's that meme of Kermit who's like yes. just pounding out the keyboard <laughs> a thousand miles an hour which I think is actually very accurate to me in chat mode
1: <laughs> absolutely you just go crazy especially when you've got like a real good gossip to share you're like typing ferociously away which makes <laughs> It makes people think that you're working really hard. (laughs)
0: right Right. I've actually gotten complaints at work before that I am too loud of a typer and um, one person even suggested to the IT team that they get me a more quiet keyboard at work (laughs) my typing skills are so hardcore that it's a disruption to everybody around me you are Kermit I love it
1: (laughs) (laughs) good for you girl I also like to type pretty hardcore
0: <laughs> it's just it's gossip. only that loud because i'm yeah, I'm firing off the loads of gossip, it's high priority information that has to get out immediately <laughs> yeah no nobody's getting a i hope this email finds you well with such ferocious <laughs> typing. <laughs> No, absolutely not. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of how Andy and I know each other, which is hilarious because we were on the same team at work, but we were on opposite ends of the country and we were on operating on different hours, um, but it worked out and we are still friends today. And I'm pretty sure that the year that we met that one time in real life was maybe 2016 and today we're in 2020. So um, we have managed to withstay in that virtual relationship very well. And now here we are podcasting. So cheers to Gchat. Cheer- cheers to Gchat. Sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Hit up Melissa. <laughs> For real. We could use some Sponsorship. Um, And then, as you mentioned already, you're on the East Coast, specifically in New Jersey today. I know you used to live in New York for a little bit. Yeah. Now you're in New Jersey, and (laughs) I'm over here in Los Angeles, and, you know, today is the very first podcast that we're recording in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, which is very strange, but it something worth documenting, I think, because these are very, very weird times that we're living in. And unfortunately, Andy, you are literally in the state with like the second highest coronavirus cases I am. in the Number United two. States right now. Yeah. And um, I I
1: always tell people I don't live in New Jersey, I'm New York adjacent because I'm so close to- to the city like i see it from my window so it's crazy to like hear people in new york like how bad it is and even in new jersey that's the number two state of cases it doesn't feel that wild but then again it's i think perspective um i think right now everyone's living this reality very differently and, and it's very subjective i i I've talked to so many people about what's going on and I get a such a different response from everyone and you've got your your like doomsday believers and the ones are really just watch the news 24 7 and are freaking out and like digging for really terrible articles in the news to really just say like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. We're never going to recover from this and there are people that are just like chilling and doing yoga and just living their lives as normal there's the conspiracy theorists that say that this is all because of the government and money and it's just everyone's living such different realities um and to me i just try to tell myself that nothing lasts forever and as morbid as this sounds everything that i think people are fearing from this pandemic i've already experienced once in my life so you can get back on your feet you can recover from this and as much as it sucks like this is not like a permanent reality for anybody um but again i think just people are like living it very personally in a different ways
0: Yeah, and I think like, you know, a lot of people that I've heard that, you know, are kind of steering away from the paranoia side of the pandemic have, you know, been quoted to mention like the common flu or car crashes or, you know, other things that happen that kill, you know, large amounts of people on a day to day basis. But I think like the main difference here is that we're watching this happen Literally in every country across the entire globe and I think that's like the element that has definitely led to More fear and paranoia than the common flu or whatever Um, But it is totally crazy Uh, LA It's kind of strange vibes here. Like for instance, you know, LA California in general is known for their horrible traffic and freeways Mm -hmm. and there isn't a fucking soul on the road. So that is, that's really creepy. You know, that kind of gives you feelings of like an apocalypse is setting in. Um, The other thing that really freaked me out, I don't know if this is happening in other States, but in California, they like, I guess there was some insane surge at the gun shops. And so they cut, they like shut down all of the gun stores so that's a little bit weird over here as well. Um, you know, the urge for people to run out to a gun store and get a gun during these times is a little unsettling. I don't know. Times are weird. I'm not used to working from home every single day, especially like, you know, not even having the opportunity to get out and have a different environment. So it's kind of weird over here.
1: I, again, like it just is very much perspective because to me it's like, oh, people are like, how are you in Jersey? I'm like, i'm fine but again i'm not really it's not that i'm turning a blind eye but i'm not like connected to the news just because like i know how what it would do to my anxiety and i feel like i need to remain healthy and sleep well during all of this so i try not to really connect myself to like these like doomsday news um i'm sure like the gun shops probably went through the same but i wouldn't even know where a gun shop is here um, and I think it's all the people that have been watching Zombieland <laughs> and The Purge that are lining up because people love to just make themselves scared. Right? It's insane. They, lo- they love the feel of panic. When, this, when the pandemic started, the trending movies on Netflix were like pandemic, contagion, like all these really horrible disease movies. I'm like, what are you guys doing to yourselves? You're living it. Why are you watching a Hollywood
0: movie on it?
1: <laughs> Watch well, Tiger King. How
0: fucked up? <laughs> How how fucked up is that even for Netflix to even be putting those on like that front page of? Oh, they're so hey, smart! Watch this; they're it's s- trending. It's like they're so smart. They're like, you scared? Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> it's freaking weird. It's totally strange. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for for California at least, we're approaching our fourth. We just got. We just finished our third week of quarantine. So, um. You know, I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but um, I just got news that it's supposed to rain tomorrow in the next couple of days, and I'm not looking forward to that. Oh, <laughs> girl, welcome to my life. fucking shitty weather, plus being locked in the house, like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, the rain really gets to you, because here, like, it's been, like, one really nice sunny day, and then three shitty cold rainy days and like on the rainy cold days, I feel like my mood goes down, but then I was like, let me put like a really like soothing playlist and I'll play Lana Little Ray and I'll just like dance in my underwear drinking wine and it, was, it helps, you know, <laughs> just sort of like adapt to the mood versus like wanting me. I was Like I wish I was outside I'd be like, who are you kidding? Bitch, you would not go outside anyways if it was sunny. So I just like get a playlist to match the mood and and then just as always drink wine
0: it helps. Yup. Yup. I agree. And on that note of drinking wine, what are you drinking today for our podcast?
1: Uh, I'm not proud of it. I don't let anyone think (laughs) this is no reflection as to who I am as a person, but the corner liquor store by me, the choices have diminished because of Rona. So... (laughs) I grabbed what I could for a good budget-friendly bottle, but I'm drinking a Dark Horse Pinot Noir. It is okay. It's drinkable. Um, not really my choice or go-to wine. I actually have this place called Bottle King here. They, they sell an incredible $8 Cadron. and so you feel fancy as fuck because it's super French, the fr- like French label, and it looks so fancy, but it's only $8, and it's delicious. And so I bought three bottles when this whole pandemic started. I don't know who I was kidding because that didn't last. So now I'm stuck with my dark horse red wine, which is drinkable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've drinking dark horse on this podcast before. And I don't know if you heard the episode or recall, but you know how there did you know that there's like that sneaky little wine glass in that horse's forehead Fuck on the label? Yes. Oh, my
1: God. Now I can't see it. <laughs> It's like the arrow (laughs) in FedEx. Have you seen the arrow in the FedEx logo?
0: No. Yeah, Yeah,
1: there's an arrow like pointing, I guess, like forward in the FedEx logo. I think between the F and the E or something like that. It's nuts. Now I can't unsee this wine glass. That's super cool. (laughs)
0: I know and I I don't remember when we figured that out if it was during the recording or if somebody like wrote in afterwards and told us but once I looked at it I was like how have I never seen that wine glass before like that's like it's nuts how your eyes can just like you know it's like an illusion almost like you can't see what's literally staring you directly in the forehead it's completely crazy to me that's insane I almost wish I was stoned when you told me this (laughs) That would have been, like, a low moment. Well, well, if you have to buy more Dark Horse during the pandemic, now at least you you have something to, to, to wig out on. Well... I am drinking, which I wish I could show you because normally we FaceTime during recordings, but everybody and their goddamn mom across the entire country is FaceTiming right now since we're all in lockdown, and our fucking Wi-Fi is not working for FaceTime. Send me a photo. I know. I can send you a photo, but also I posted it on my Instagram page. Um, I had the other day posted a quote for Frida Kahlo, and i if you swipe right it's me holding the wine that i'm drinking tonight which is a frida branded wine bottle it's super cute it's from um what's called single vineyards Holy it's a shit. 2007 cabernet and it's from i guess a, a vineyard called carmen um it's never so cute. heard of this wine it's adorable it's so cute so i actually got this bottle as a gift from my sister for christmas and like for me for some reason like i don't drink red wine regularly i usually only drink red wine like if it's really cold weather um if i'm drinking or if i'm eating like steaks or something like it's kind of like an occasional like a special occasion wine for me i don't know why it just is i have that like association to red wine that way for some reason um and we actually had steaks the other night so i cracked open the the bottle finally and i'm not gonna lie i already drank half of it a few days ago but then i was like oh my god what is wrong with me how did i not save this bottle for a fucking podcast so (laughs) (laughs) i was able to sum up some self-control and i only drank half of it so now i'm drinking the other half on the podcast but it's really fucking good and i have no clue where the hell my sister got this from um i really probably should have asked her but i didn't think of it but I'm going to read you the label on the back because it has a cute little message. It says Frida, a woman who passionately lived the adversities of life and found in her reality an opportunity to reinvent herself. Her iconic experience and extraordinary artwork left behind a legacy that transcends and overcomes barriers of culture and always led her to transform tradition into reinvention. And it says Carmen is the first Chilean winery a timeless classic just like Frida both seek to expand their positive impact as female role models that are classic and current classic and current at the same time this is why we were inspired by her passion sophistication elegance and attitude to create a new wine so that is adorable that is so (laughs) cute
1: I need that wine in my life it's like the kind of bottle you just save and put flowers in
0: yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm going to do. I Although I'm super pissed because that night that I was eating steaks, when I opened it, I was apparently not as, you know, uh, sophisticated myself as I tried to be. <laughs> and when I poured the wine, it dribbled a little bit down the bottle across the logo. Oh. But then I'm kind of like, It makes it well, homey yeah it does kind of make it homey so I'm definitely gonna throw some flowers in this after I finish it um which I will be finishing it in probably the next 10 minutes and then I'm gonna have to go crack another bottle so (laughs) there's potential for a second one review later
1: good for you I I love red wine that's like all I drink Except, like, if I want a day drink, I go for like colder wines for some reason. It's like white wine's acceptable at 11 a.m., red wine isn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> red wine's like after 4 p.m. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, that's my, I pretty my much go-to. agree.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to do more red wine drinking. So, if you have any recommendations on great bottles that you love, please send them my way. I will definitely, um, not this dark horse.
1: It's okay. It's all right. (laughs) Do you want to get started in our awesome women?
0: Yes. Are you going to take the lead?
1: Yes. So I can just get my nerves out of the way. Um, (laughs) I've been practicing and trying to catch myself uh, in my nervous ticks. So I'm so ready for this. Um, All right. Okay. So Sort of a little background, I actually had recommended you this woman before. I think it's one of the first people that I recommended you cover. Um, And she's very well known, but the reason why I'm covering her, I'm covering her early life. Um, A lot of people don't know a lot about her story prior to her becoming a famous actress. And I just find it absolutely fascinating. So I'm really, I could talk about my woman for hours, if not days. So easily every single part of her life could be talked an hour or so but I took her early life the really important things that people don't know about her and then I'm just covering sort of like the end of her life briefly so I'll get started um I'm covering Miss Audrey Hepburn
0: oh yay
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Fuck yes. Yes, I absolutely adore her. I read her biography Enchantment such a long time ago, but it it's it's very impactful, so I just wanted to talk about her cuz I already knew so much about her, but I, and like the the part of her life that's really impressive to me people don't know. So, I will get started. Okay. So, in 1929, Baroness Ella Van Heemstra, who's of Dutch descent, and Joseph Victor Anthony Rustin, who's British, gave birth to Audrey Kathleen Rustin. Um, so this, I guess, for some reason makes Audrey British. Um, I don't know how that works in Europe, but since the father's British, and makes her British, even though she was born in Belgium. um, <laughs> You know, whatever rules they have there. Um, Audrey was the only child to her parents, but Ella did have two previous sons. um, Not previous sons. She had two sons from a previous marriage, Alexander and Ian. There is very little information about Audrey's father, Joseph. Um, However, there were speculations that Joseph married Ella for her money and title. Again, she's a baroness a title really can only be passed down through the father. So this does not make Audrey have a noble title. So she's just plain Audrey. But due to Joseph not really coming from a prominent family, Ella was like, this is not going to work out if you're not important. So Joseph decided to dig, and like, I say this with such a stretch, very, very deep into his family tree. And there is speculation that he may again such a stretch he may have had a distant relation (laughs) to James Hepburn so James Hepburn was the third husband of Mary Queen of Scots I don't know if you've heard of Mary Queen of Scots um very wild woman in history that you should probably cover but so having this Kind of connection to James Hepburn, Ella made Joseph change his name and hyphenate to Hepburn Rustin. So that's where Audrey Hepburn, well, Audrey got the Hepburn last name later on when she became a famous actress. So, growing up, Audrey recalled her parents having a very tumultuous relationship. She said that she really kept her sanity um, by dancing ballet, which she started at the age of four. And she would take art classes and would travel a lot between Brussels and England. So, she spoke English and French very well. Just a little girl of four. Really well-educated, well-traveled, better than I will ever be in my 30 years of life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, she was just really something at the age of four. Um so Ella and Joseph became supporters of Sir Oswald Mosley, who is a leader of the British Union of fascists, whose idealisms were to do a cleansing of the British. Um and that does sound it, it is as horrible as it sounds, and it wasn't necessarily the Jewish they were doing a cleansing of, but they just wanted to sort of cleanse society. Now, around this time, fascist groups were popping up left and right. In the U.S., it was happening happening everywhere. So it wasn't just the British and the Germans. It was really just happening everywhere. But um, so Ella started writing articles for the Black Shirt, who was the official newspaper for the British Union of Fascists. And Ella and Joseph donated so much money that mostly took them personally to tour Hitler's Germany, as if it were, like, fucking Disneyland. Oh, yeah, like, it was like, look, Hitler's Germany. And then they're like, ooh, ah, uh, fucking terrible. Uh, and Audrey was too young while this was all going on, so she was really oblivious to it all. Um, but one of the things that she does remember from her early on childhood was, and she says, when she was in, pre- in preschool... She vividly remembers her father deciding to leave her family to join a more radical fascist group, and despite everything that I'm going to tell you about Audrey's life, she says that to this day, to that, like that was the worst thing that she had to endure. Um, which again, once I get past her, like her whole life, you're going to be like, really, that moment? But she was young, and you see your father leave and just sort of truly abandon the family.
0: Yeah, that's really fucked up.
1: It's really fucked up. You know, you're such a little girl and then you're like really not even understand. You don't even know what a fascist group is. And your dad leaves you. Right. For not even <laughs> another family. A fascist group. What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, especially like finding like, especially like later in life, digging more into those details as to why he left and what for. Like. Right. Ugh.
1: Right. It's so crazy. And actually due to Joseph's ties and support to such radical fascist groups, he was tried in England and sent to jail for the duration of World War II. So that's the last we hear oh. from Joseph in this storyline that I'm telling. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he gone. Dang. So yeah. That's how radical he ended up being. He was put in jail. So Audrey really grew up without a father this entire time. Um Audrey's parents did decide to legally divorce in 1935. And in the settlement, they had agreed to keep Audrey in England in a boarding school. Um, So instead of them being like, oh, we'll do, you know, summers here, etc. Back and forth between Belgium and England, they decided to just drop her off in a fucking boarding school. Um, So that was sort of the first radical change, aside from her father leaving, that Audrey had to endure in her young life. Um, So she up and went to a boarding school in England. Um, So when Audrey was 10 years old and she's living in England, um, England and France decided to declare war on Germany. So very frightened Ella, who is living in the Netherlands at the time, decided to pull Audrey out of boarding school in England and bring her back to Holland. In hindsight, this is a terrible idea, but... How could she know? How could she know that keeping Audrey in England would have been a much better situation than bringing her back to the Netherlands? Again, yeah. worried mom, if you're a mother and your daughter's in a school out in England and that country decides to declare war on another country, you're just going to do what's best and pull your child and bring her close to you. Yep. So Audrey's 10 years old when this happens. So she gets put on a plane. Um, it's the last plane out of England and she makes it to Arnhem. So once again, she needs to start a new school. It's taught in Dutch. So she needs to learn Dutch. Um, And during this whole entire time, Audrey keeps saying that the best time for her to handle stress, even though she's 10 years old, was by seeking refuge in dancing. So she always tend to lean on dancing when things were going wrong in her life. Um, And... I love to point this out when I talk to people about Audrey Hepburn. Um, I don't like to call it a fun fact because it is not fun, but it's just really interesting. So something to note that while this is happening in Audrey's life, Anne Frank is living a parallel life just a few towns over. They were the same exact age. Audrey was just one month older than Anne Frank.
0: What the fuck? Yes. That is
1: very eerie. It's very eerie. A lot of people don't know that. I think a lot of people tend to think of Audrey Hepburn in one parallel universe and Anne Frank in a completely different one, but they're just a month apart in age and they were living towns apart. You know, Audrey was in Arnhem and Anne Frank was in Amsterdam, which is nuts. Crazy. It's so crazy. So while all things to be going fine for Audrey and her family, in 1940, there was a German bombing raid in Rotterdam. This came to be known as the Rotterdam Blitz, which resulted in 844 civilian deaths. All Audrey could remember hearing was German soldiers marching through her town, but civilians were not allowed to look or peek through their windows or they'd be shot. So this is when, like tensions really starting to arise. not not chill mm-hmm. at all um so this is really the point where audrey's life takes a huge turn her older brother alexander had to go into hiding because he had fought with the dutch army against the germans and if he were caught he would have been killed so he goes into hiding no nobody knew where he went it was absolute top secret Audrey's mother, Ella, had no idea where her son went to hide. Audrey had no idea where her older brother went to hide. Fully vanished. Audrey's home also, wow. which was, yeah, which was owned by her grandfather, was seized by German soldiers. So they had to move to a really small apartment. So they went from sort of having this really great life. They had Dutch nobility. You know, she's a it bar- uh, Ella is a baroness. They now are living in a small apartment with, you know, under German law, and so this was really a big turn for all of them. Since Audrey was not Jewish, um, she was able to continue living her life as normal. However, given that her name was English and sounded different, Ella wanted Audrey to change her name um, from Audrey to Etta, and so she changed it to Etta van Heemstra for the time being to protect Audrey. And also back in the day, IDs were handwritten and Ella had an extra ID and she said, well, if worse comes to worse, we can change Ella to Edda and she, Audrey can use my ID if need be. Again, just trying to think quick on your feet since they, I think at this time that everybody started noticing that their Jewish neighbors and friends were sort of disappearing, but nobody really knew what was happening. So Ella just was quick thinker and just during this period, Audrey started referring to himself as Edda van Heemstra. During this time, Queen Wilhelmina, the Queen of the Netherlands, had gone into hiding, but she would broadcast messages to the Dutch via Radio Orange. It was Audrey jo- Audrey's job, just like Anne Frank, to change the radio station to music only in case of a raid. So again, Audrey and Anne Frank are living very parallel lives at the time. So two years pass after the Rotterdam Blitz, it's 1942. And the Dutch sort of start to begin to realize what happened to their Jewish neighbors and friends. Um, they slowly disappear, but now they really truly knew what was going on and what the German were doing to them. So the Dutch started to rebel against, Nat- against the Nazis and blew up a train. And oh, then na- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we don't think so, and fucking blew up a train. And then the Nazis were like, nah, bitch, I don't think so. Oh.
0: Um,
1: Yeah, so the Nazis were were like, absolutely not, and put an order to teach the Dutch a lesson by gathering five prominent men from different cities and executing them in public. And one of the five men was Audrey's uncle Otto. So, no. Yeah. So now the war's really personal for Audrey and her family and the Dutch. You know, before it's like, okay, the Germans can stay here, we'll sort of keep peaceful. And then the Germans started to rebel, and the Nazis were like, yeah, I don't fucking think so. And then things started to get really violent. Around this time, Audrey's brother Ian, her younger brother Ian, was considered old enough to be sent away to labor camp, which he could have easily avoided by going into hiding, but he was reluctant to leave Ella and Audrey behind, so he ended up being caught and sent away to work in a factory in Berlin. Um, Again, I think this is the same thing that happened to Anne Frank's sister. She was old enough to be sent away, and that's why the family went into hiding in the first place. So such parallel mirror lives but you know it again just everybody makes the choices that they make unfortunately her brother got sent away and again it's you, if you think about it like there's no method of communication for him to even check in to say hey i'm okay so now ella has lost technically both of her sons and only has audrey to rely on this is oh, really that's so
0: horrible so
1: horrible to think about so at this time ella really wants to become part of the resistance but they're not really welcoming of ella due to her ties to the fascists and i don't blame them she did personally donate a lot of money to fascist groups and used to write articles for the black shirts so Since she wasn't really welcome to The Resistance, she decided to hold her own fundraisers to really help out and raise money to help out their Jewish neighbors and friends. And in these fundraisers, Audrey would do Swan Lake performances to really raise money. So Audrey still has ballet to really rely on everything that's going on in her life.
0: Wow. So she was doing ballet performance to raise money for The Resistance? Yes, and that's just that one is of- so nuts. And it's, oh, girl, oh, hang like on. As a <laughs> it, kid, though, right? That's a kid.
1: So, Audrey, amongst other kids, were transporting things like counterfeit ration cards to keep, you know, their Jewish neighbors' friends alive during the war. So they would hide them in the bottom of their lunchboxes and backpacks in case, like, they were stopped by German officers. This is Whoa. she was thirteen years old at this time. Can you even
0: imagine, like, you know, it just like it honestly like really puts into perspective like everything that's going on. Well, but also just you know culture. Like, imagine mm-hmm. something like that happening today. Like the the stupid reality that most of our youth live in today. To think that they would be, you know, you know, doing you know crazy radical things for a resistance group um it, it seems like that couldn't even be possible today in 2020 you know absolutely but I think it also speaks to Audrey Hepburn's
1: persona and like character and the way she was raised she always talked so humbly about everything that she did she was like oh you know it just I just helped, or it was what I had to do like it wasn't mm-hmm. she didn't have this big heroic act or like even re- she was just like okay it's time to help yeah um since Audrey was the only one that really spoke English and had such an innocent look, she was often chosen to meet with British infiltrators and give them directions to the safe house. So at 13, she's meeting with British spies and be like, let me guide you to your house. Oh. <laughs> so chill, right? Like for her, yeah. it was just like, yeah, sure. No thing. She never really questioned anything that she had to do. And, and, and like her story just gets crazier. Um, one of the times that she was on her way to meet uh, with one of the British spies in a forest, uh, she encountered some German soldiers, but she was clever enough that when she saw them coming, she picked up wild flowers and presented the German soldiers with bouquets and just like played this innocent girl and like curtsied and battered her eyelashes and, and they bought it. They took the flowers and walked away saying, oh, I wish all children were this nice and she oh, wow. was meeting with british spies. So oh my god. <laughs> again at 13, which is mind blowing to me. So time passes and germany becomes increasingly pissed with the with the dutch and they start punishing them by really um, shortening the food supply so food's getting the food supply is getting smaller and smaller the germans were keeping most of it to themselves and then shipping most of it to berlin so food was very scarce and audrey and her mother lived off lettuce bread cakes made out of green peas and tulip bulbs they would take the tulip flour and grind it into a flour and just bake with it even though it had zero nutritional value so wow did it have flavor or something i don't think so i mean i I can't imagine turning into anything really but i think that's just how they survived yeah i'm very curious i i tulips don't tend to have a a strong scent i don't believe so maybe just really was flavorless but it was able to create some sort of flour so they could bake with it Mm mm-hmm so audrey got weaker and weaker and she was so thin she was no longer able to dance which was like the one thing that would keep her sane during all of this which is so sad you know she she used to always rely on ballet when she was upset or things weren't going well and now she got so thin she was 15 years old at the time standing at 5'7 and she only weighed 90 pounds oh god 5'7 5'7 and she weighed 90 pounds A 15-year-old, yeah. So she's just a 15-year-old, malnourished, trying to survive, really trying to make the best out of it. And um, sadly, Anne Frank was 15 when she was discovered and sent away. So I think this is when their lives really just sort of shift. Um, But at this time now, Audrey's a teenager. She's very much in touch with reality of what's going on. And so she's really having to cope with this. As a 15-year-old, I can't... I was such a little shit at 15. I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine enduring what she would.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine either. Yeah.
1: So, in 1944, the Germans decided to blow up Arnhem. They did give the Dutch a choice to get out, but it wasn't much time, so it was sort of like a run. So, Audrey and her mother had to walk to a home in the countryside that was owned by their grandfather, and they recall seeing people literally collapsing and dying from hunger on the way to these safe houses in the country. There were no trains. There was no food. There was no heat. And there was no hope. So, again, at 15, Ugh. you're just walking. You are this 90-pound, 15-year-old, and you've seen people collapse out of pure hunger. Ugh. Yeah. Um, well, also it, the
0: fear of, like, wondering if you or your family members
1: are next exactly like you don't know who like her mother is also very weak you know you're just trying to make it and you're just hanging on to literally just the little bit of hope you may have left because what else is there so in order to survive audrey had to go out and scrounge for food but the nazis were constantly raiding the streets looking for people to just haul in for slave labor so even going out to just trying to find tulips to eat you know, it was a risk for her. So one of the days that Audrey was uh, scrounging, she turned the corner and found a German soldier with a few girls lined up ready to get sent away. Now, this is where it's kind of, um, the there are two different stories for how this happened. So there's speculations that say that, A truck never came to pick up the girls and they were they just like were lining up with the soldier and the soldier was like oh well here's an extra girl Um, and then there's another story that says that Audrey was already loaded into a truck but regardless of what the details were Audrey saw her chance and she took off running and hid again she's 90 pounds and malnourished and she still found the strength to decide to even run for her life and just hide in a forest. So days went by, her mother had no idea where her daughter was and ended up finding her way back home. So it was, it, it was kind of wild for her to just sort of run for her life at this point. So on her 16th birthday, Holland was actually liberated. So this was a great time for Audrey. Um, Audrey was just skin and bones when her family was rescued. Um, which is speculated as to why she was so thin her entire life. They think that maybe because she was so thin and malnourished during her developmental years, she never was able to really absorb nutrients and have a f- healthy body weight. So, if you know Audrey Hepburn, she is a very was a very thin person. Mm-hmm. Um, upon on being found by British soldiers, she was giving like five chocolate bars and she like ate them all. And obviously threw them all up in minutes because you can't give a person that (laughs) you can't give a person that hasn't eaten in God knows how long chocolate. And then she just like devoured it all. But it is said that she was giving lots of chocolate and cigarettes by soldiers. So um, she did develop a really bad smoking habit, but she also had a love for chocolate. And I think it just sort of reminds her of that little bit of like turnaround in her life. Regardless of everything that Audrey and her family went through, Audrey still made time to visit wounded soldiers. She was visiting all the British soldiers throughout the rest of the war, etc. She was still just sort of, it, it just sort of reflects how truly kind and selfless Audrey was. She just wanted to return the favor for being rescued by these soldiers. So she was constantly visiting hospitals and just sitting by soldiers' sides and talking to them. Um, and she was doing this as a child? She was 16, you know? Oh, wow. She was a teenager, yeah. Um, after that, Audrey started a brand new life. She picked up dancing again when she was healthy enough to pick it back up. And this is what led Audrey Hepburn to be discovered. Um, she got a small part in a French film, which led French writer Colette to ask her to play the title role In Gigi, which Colette had adapted to Broadway. So that's sort of where Audrey gets her big break. Um, and again, I I didn't want to really get into her acting career um just because I find just her life as a World War II survivor so incredibly fascinating and how parallel it was to Anne Frank's that it just I feel Mm -hmm. like it needed to be covered and just like the kind of
0: person and woman she grew up to be. But as some know. Well, and I don't think that a lot of people maybe know that. I mean, I would imagine like, you know, um, people in, you know, our parents and grandparents' generations probably know that information, but, you know, I didn't know that about her. I would imagine, you know, people, millennials and you know, young, the younger the younger group of people that know of Audrey Hepburn as this famous actress um, probably don't know that kind of information about her life and where she came from.
1: Right, and you almost think like, oh, Hollywood never really needs to suffer, but you under you sometimes see a grown actor and you're like, well, they did come from a terrible life and background and they made it. But I think we tend to find us fantasize a lot of Hollywood actors mm-hmm. in life. So Audrey does go on to win an Academy Award for her performance in Roman Holiday, which funny enough was written by Trumbo, which if you haven't seen that movie with, God, what's that actor's name from Breaking Bad? He's in it. Trumbo was actually one of the Hollywood blacklisted um, writers because he was a communist. So he wrote Roman Holiday and had his friend use his name and that's how they were able to um get the movie made produced and he won best writing she won best actress for it um but it's I, f- I find it like a really funny almost eerie coincidence that he was a communist and she had endured all this through world war ii because of the germans so
0: she did win <laughs> right, right. what is the, the irony. irony in that this is
1: so ironic but at this point you know again audrey super humble if you see like her video on youtube what, winning the award she's just like Thank you very much. She was very self-spoken and so, so thin. And I think Audrey, every single time she gets interviewed, when, got interviewed in anything that she did, she was always so humble. She was always saying like, I don't even know how I became a big actress or I don't even know how I became a fashion icon, icon because she did become a fashion icon by mistake. Um, she got sent to Givenchy's studio and he thought he was expecting Miss Hepburn, aka Catherine Hepburn, and it wasn't it was her but he ended up falling in love with audrey's style and persona and audrey became Givenchy's muse so again oh wow almost by mistake she's just sort of living this innocent life and then things just get presented to her um and she always took everything like so humble um some of the other performances that Audrey's very well known for is Breakfast at Tiffany's, Sabrina, which is one of my personal favorites, My Fair Lady, and then Funny Face, which is awful, god awful. Um, <laughs> and but I've seen it twice just to remind myself that it is awful. Um, she, it's a musical. the The male character, male lead character, is just so much older than her. It's just. It's just a god awful movie, but it's just um, Sabrina is one of my favorites. And I always like to watch it on my birthday. It's black and white. It's absolutely stunning. I just in her outfits are just gorgeous. So highly recommend
0: Sabrina. Don't watch Funny Face. Um, have you seen any of her movies? I have seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. I've never seen Sabrina.
1: OK, I think they're all on Prime. So definitely watch them now that you, we have time. Oh, they're direction. all on Amazon Prime? Major- there's a lot of Audrey Hep- Hepburn movies on Prime. I think Sabrina's on there, Charade's on it, and I don't know if My Fair Lady's in it, but there's a lot of Audrey Hepburn films. I
0: think I've seen My Fair Lady too. I feel like I've seen that with my mother when I was young, but like I, I can't recall it today, but for some reason I feel like I have seen that film as well, but... I mean, to be totally honest, like, I I don't really know a ton about Audrey. Like, you've definitely fucking spit the knowledge for me today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm so happy you covered her. I mean, oh, I've never so happy. known this.
1: I'm so happy you don't know any of this, because that, that was my whole, like, reason for wanting to cover her was just, like, blow your mind. <laughs> Funny enough, My Fair Lady was originally on Broadway, and Julie Andrews was playing the the role, And so when they got turned into a feature film, people were mad that Julie Andrews didn't get cast to play the role and Audrey Hepburn did. So they were kind of pitting them against each other. But um, this led Julie Andrews to land the role in The Sound of Music. So it's just sort of how the universe just rolled the dice for everything to just really get into place which is a movie about Nazis, The Sound of Music. It's beyond singing. Again, crazy. You know what?
0: Like, I feel like I definitely, especially now that we're in lockdown, I feel like I need to do a deep dive on all of these movies again. <laughs> because <Yes. laughs> I know that I've seen, like, a lot of classics when I was younger. Like, my mom was really big into them. Like, I used to, I grew up watching, like, Shirley Temple movies when I was very young. But I think it would be so interesting to rewatch some of these older films um as an adult just to kind of like you know rewind on time and and remember you know what those types of like what like what was happening in the world that would result in the types of films that were being created at that time period
1: yeah and the sound of music is in disney and disney plus if you have it um i absolutely love that movie because it starts with cheerful colories sing-along sing-song and then it's like nazis and run (laughs) it's like what but it's, it's, and it's based off of a true story. So it's really, um, it's, I love that movie. It just kind of reminds me of my family. So that's a sidetrack on Julie Andrews, who is also wonderful. Um, so that's a little bit briefing on Audrey's acting career. Um, after acting, um, towards the 1960s, Audrey decided to retire from films and really devoted herself to her family life um, and really only emerged in a handful of films in the 70s and the 80s. She did devote her final years to life at UNICEF. So she was a UNICEF ambassador and traveled all over the world, was, you know, tending to starving children in Ethiopia and really understanding like the hardships of life still happening to that day and her being... A child from war who was helped out by UNICEF it was really impactful to her and of course she felt like she needed to give back so she was a great UNICEF ambassador and I again like this is something that could take another hour long to talk about all the great things that she did for them um but it just again sort of reflects on her kind and selfless character and her need to give back after everything that was done to save her life she was just no question she decided to become a unicef ambassador and she's still to this day um rewarded and mentioned in um their website it's really interesting if you want to look it up
0: that's awesome
1: yeah so audrey's final years so, upon returning from Somalia on a UNICEF trip, she went back to Switzerland um, in late September of 1922. And Audrey began, suffer- began suffering from abdominal pain. And while in initial medical tests in Switzerland had inconclusive results, a, and please excuse me, my scientific vocabulary is very minimal, a lapar- laparoscopy, yeah, She had a laparoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. That sounds pretty legit, I think. (laughs) A laparoscopy performed in LA in early November, and it revealed she had a rare form of abdominal cancer. Um, It had been slowly growing in her for many, many years, and it wasn't until she finally felt pain that it was discovered. So she did have surgery, and she did begin chemotherapy. But... Audrey and her family decided to return home to Switzerland to celebrate her last Christmas. So she was at this point in hospice. Um, As she was still recovering from surgery, she was unable to fly commercial aircraft from... L.A. to Switzerland, so her longtime friend and fashion designer Givenchy, as I mentioned earlier, he arranged for socialite Bunny Mellon to send her private Gulfstream jet filled with flowers, like to the brim, to fly Audrey Hepburn from Los Angeles to Geneva. So that's a pretty great fucking friend, you know? Hell yeah, that yeah. is. <laughs> You're like you want to make sure that you die in your home country with your family and in your gardens. Like here's a plane and not just a plane, a private plane. It's I'm going to fill it with flowers because I know you love them. Oh, that is so sweet. So sweet. She spent her last days in hospice care in her home and she was occasionally well enough to take walks in her garden, which she loved, but gradually became more confined to bed rest. And on the evening of January 20th, 1993, Hepburn died in her sleep at home so you know she did not live I believe she was in her 60s when she died Um, I think she would have done so much more with her life if the ability had been given to her but
0: wow I actually didn't even realize she was that young when she died yeah
1: yeah, she did pass um, at a pretty young age
0: Um, yeah And I think,
1: and I found one of her quotes from her. um, And I think it's very fitting with everything that's going on today. And actually, when I was doing research on her life and just really gathering my notes, I don't want to say it was coming for me, but for me, just typing down everything that she went through and like putting as to what's going on today with the pandemic, I'm like, God, we're lucky. We're lucky that the most that we have to do is just stay home and watch TV. Like, right so incredibly lucky. So one of my favorite quote, I mean, she has an eternal amount of quotes, but what my favorite quote, and I think it's very relevant to what's happening today, it's remember if you ever need a helping hand, it's at the end of your arm. As you get older, remember you have another hand. The first is to the first is to help yourself, the second is to help others. So again, oh. so selfless, so helpful. I know it's a beautiful quote and until her last dying breath, she was always looking out for others, and that's why I absolutely adore Audrey Hepburn. Oh,
0: that was so good!
1: Oh, I'm glad you loved it, and I'm glad you didn't know because I, every single time I talk about Audrey Hepburn and I tell people, you know, just the parallels between Anne Frank and her life in World War II, they have no idea, and it's she's just more than just breakfast at tiffany's
0: yeah and sadly i feel like that is you know a large part of the stereo not really a stereotype but like that's how people generalize audrey Hepburn. i feel like she's the breakfast at tiffany's and you know even when we educate like younger people on her that's kind of what they coin And I think it's so great that you covered her and specifically, you know, zoned in on her earlier life because, one, that's an incredible part of history to not only talk about and educate on, but also, like, you know, tie in how these famous women um, who we admire as old Hollywood actresses have literally gone through shit like this. Like these are really, really important things to remember in terms of history and you know where old Hollywood, when it originated, the time period that it originated, and the you know what those actual actresses and actors went through when they were you know getting into this Hollywood entertainment world and kind of coming out of those horrible, horrible times. It's it's good to reflect on that. I think it's it's so great to not only remember it but to talk about it on this podcast especially because I don't I don't think that that's something that people really resonate with when they think about Audrey so I'm so happy you covered it and you did a fucking phenomenal job thank you I'm my boobs are sweating but (laughs) my boobs are sweating too
1: but it feels good that I got it out of the way
0: (laughs) <laughs> um, I do have one question though. Um yeah. because I am assuming you know lots about Audrey yeah did she ever get married or have kids
1: oh yes it's actually I was gonna mention um I didn't want to get a lot into detail of her love life there were lots of affairs but she did get married I think she was just a hopeless romantic and she loved love she did have one son um he's in his 50s right now um I totally just blanked on his name but she did get married and she had one son um I believe it's Luca Dotti. It's very Italian, but she did have lots of love affairs um and and she you know some of them were with fellow actors, some um, producers and directors, but again, like I said, I can spend hours talking in detail yeah. about her acting life from getting discovered to acting to her influence in fashion because she's also a major influence in fashion to all her love affairs and family life.
0: Yeah. Everything about her. You um, know what I- it would actually be kind of cool if like several episodes later you came back and like covered part two of Audrey. <laughs> I'm ready girl. Stay when <laughs> I'm ready.
1: I've I've I got my notes ready to go (laughs) (laughs) I highly recommend reading Enchantment um it's a biography that I read and it's by Donald Spuddo I think that's what it's called um and it's very it's not like a super heavy novel but it has great quotes from her and it really is divided in from early life acting career including her love life and then her life after acting and her dedication to Unicef, so it's a great and it has photos. So it's a it's a beautiful book, if you're interested. Or I can just come back and talk more. Right. About
0: <laughs> <her>. <laughs> you should. Okay, yeah. I have a couple other points to make just because okay. I always get really excited when these things happen. But one, the first thing I'm gonna mention is I'm so happy you covered her, especially this part of her life, because since I've been in quarantine, I have been binge watching a show called Man in the High Castle. Have you heard Ooh, of it? I have heard of it, and I've I've heard it's fantastic. So it's an, an Amazon Prime series, and it's very interesting because it covers, it's basically a, you know, a fictional story about what the United States would have become had like, I guess Japan and Germany like won the war. Right. And so the story is basically about the United States being split in half where the West is taken over by Japan and the right is taking, or the East is taken over by Germany. And then there's this entire resistance group and this neutral zone in the middle between like Colorado and Wyoming and Montana in that area. but we've been binge watching the shit out of it for like the past two weeks and I mean I it's it's just so cool to have like be watching you know this alternate universe of what life could have become and then you know learning all of this about Audrey and kind of unintentionally tying those stories together and imagining her as this like resistance group that I've been watching every single day non-stop <laughs> at 13 years old <laughs> yeah um, so that is kind of just interesting you know just a coincidence and where what I've been doing over the past couple of weeks and how that ties into the woman you selected but then also my favorite thing of all times is when our women somehow relate unintentionally because my woman um, which I will get into shortly she has a lot of similar ties um, well, I wouldn't say similar ties, but somewhat of a similar story as Audrey. Oh, I'm um, excited. A tad different, but you'll you'll hear how they kind of line up. And I just love when those, those coincidences happen because, you know, every episode, we don't know who the other person's going to be covering. And I just fucking love when they somehow either have like crossed paths Hi. in life or had a similar background or, you know, ended up down the same adult life path. So that's very cool because... I'm very excited yeah. about that.
1: I went actually was taking notes and I was like I was like It would be so wild. I would lose, I would have fallen off my chair if you would have covered Anne Frank in this episode. (laughs) Right? I think I would have absolutely lost my shit. I was
0: like, no way. (laughs) That would have, and in fact, we never even talked about our women normally. I try to like do a, oh, you know, is your woman dead or alive? Where Where is she from? I didn't even think of it. So it's a good thing we didn't pick the same person.
1: Well, you did mention that your woman was not very well known and as soon as you said that I was like oh it's definitely not mine mine's very well known (laughs) yeah so at least we did that um but I did get her um her her astrology sign which I know some stuff about it but I I want you to guess and I'm probably gonna absolutely not guess yours but you tell me what you think it is
0: yeah, I was wondering if you did that. Um, I, absolutely, I did my homework. <laughs> I've been thinking about it during this entire presentation, and I it hasn't really come easy to me. But I do have like one main guess, um, and I'm not like completely confident about it. But my okay. guess is that she may be a cancer. No.
1: Oh. <laughs> no, she's um and I. I And I'm so stupid. I I wanted to like print out like what each sign is. I guess I can pull them up on my phone. Um, But she is an an earth sign. She's an earth sign. Yeah. She's very. Is she a (laughs) Taurus? Yes. Oh my God. She was born May 4th. And Anne Frank was born in June. So again, like a month apart
0: wow i really wouldn't have thought and this is gonna sound funny because i am an earth sign but earth signs really are not that warm and loving (laughs) like like, not at all like i would not state i would not say that their like well-known personality trait is being warm like that like how she was uh, I mean, I think, you know, one thing that earth signs are is, like, very helpful. Like, they are, like, they if they had a love language, it would be acts of service. So maybe that's kind of where those tie in where she was, you know, doing the dan- the, the ballet for the resistance and, like, the lunch boxes. And she was going to see, like, the soldiers and stuff like that. But I went like, throughout the whole story, I was just getting so much, like, compassion, which I really yeah. wouldn't resonate to an earth sign. <laughs> <laughs> I get that's, it. That's way more water signy, which is why I thought of cancer. I would have said Cancer Pisces. Um probably those would have been my first two picks, but But Taurus well, that's interesting. tends to be like sweet and
1: calm, I think.
0: So I think which is very Audrey. Well, and they're also sometimes coined like the lover of the Zodiac. Like they can be very romantic. So maybe there are like with Tauruses, maybe that like lover of the zodiac can kind of spread in different realms of yeah. love. Yeah. Um, but, huh, that is very interesting. Yeah. I really almost leaned into
1: picking a woman, a woman that was a Libra, because you guys are constantly <laughs> on them. Uh, and I, myself, as a Libra, can't stand that. And I have a long list of Libras, and some of them are amazing women, but... I had to, I had to go with Audrey because I just really wanted to put her story out there.
0: Well, luckily, um, the opportunity to guest host is pretty much endless at this point. So I love it. You I'm down. Can come I'll, I'll back buy my own
1: microphone. Fuck it. Literally
0: <laughs> present Libras for the rest of your life. You got it. <laughs> oh my God. That was so good. Thank you so much for covering her. It was fucking awesome. Oh, you I loved great it. Great job.
1: I loved it. Sweaty boobs and all. This was amazing. Dude, mine,
0: I've been like, that's what I'm saying. If we were literally video chatting, I have like, I'm literally airing out my tits as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, keep like putting my t
1: shirt underneath them. I was like, Jesus, it's hot in here. <laughs>
0: Well, I think it's a combination between drinking wine, like getting worked up about like your woman's story. Yes. (laughs) And probably also just presenting in a microphone recording in general. (laughs) And fourth, just having large knockers. (laughs) Yes, that too. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Can't forget that one. Okay. Well, I'm going to do a quick pee break and a wine refill. Okay, great. I'm going to open my window because I'm sweating so much. And then we'll, um, you can't see me, but I'm just going to run upstairs really quick. I'll be back in like okay. three minutes or something. Sounds good. Okay. I poured the world's largest glass of wine and it is so bad, but I'm oh no. it anyway. <laughs> All right. Okay. I am going to get started. So, like I had already, uh, hinted to you earlier, my... I was like, I wanted to cover this woman for a while now, but I was unsure if I should because she's actually very young and young people don't have very long life <laughs> stories to tell. So I was like, well, I'm going to do some research and see if I can like come up with enough content to actually present her on a podcast and not have it be like four minutes long. And so luckily I was I was able to dig between like YouTube videos, articles, interviews, and I, I could come up with enough content. So I am very excited. I don't know if you know of her. I think you might, but um, I'm very excited to present my woman, especially if most of the listeners have never heard of her before, because um, she's definitely new in the social world today um but I think she's gonna be a very 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 huge name as she continues to blossom in her life um and she's doing incredible things and I'm excited to see what more comes out of her so her name is Halima Aden it might be Auden. huh and uh, she is, I, I don't totally know how to pronounce her last name. I feel like an asshole. I honestly YouTubed, like, how do you pronounce this last name? And, you know, like, people say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and do I, that all the time. <laughs> and I even looked up two interviews to see, like, how people presented her. And it, they had said her na- last name different ways. But it's spelled A-D-E-N. So I think it's Halima Adden. It I feel Aiden. like she
1: might pronounce it Aden
0: she might um but she is the first woman to wear a hijab in the miss minnesota usa pageant who later went on to sign with img img models and she's currently today proving that there is a place for modest muslim women in the fashion industry cool i've never heard from her uh, about her i'm very excited Well yes, so she's super young and she's kind of like up and coming right now, Um, but she is booming and um, she's definitely paving new waves in the not only modeling world but like runway fashion world as well. But the reason why I thought it was really interesting is because she has an interesting upbringing and childhood as does Audrey and they also have both pursued some of the same interests later in their life, um, which I will tell you about now. So she was born in 1997 in the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. Her mother arrived at the refugee camp in 1994 after she fleed the Somali Civil War where her father was assumed to have died as he'd gone missing while he was fighting in the war. So, although Halima was born in Kenya, she's actually Somalian, and she grew up speaking both Somali and Swahili. So, the term Kakuma, which was the refugee camp that she was raised and born in, translates from Swahali as middle of nowhere, <laughs> which oh. is kind of true. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere in Kenya. Yeah. Um, and it's much more like a full-blown city than it is a temporary like, settlement for refugees. So it was established by the UN in 1992, and at that time it had 70,000 people as a capacity but as of today it's since expanded and ballooned and it can now hold up to 192,000 registered refugees and asylum seekers which the majority of these people don't ever actually end up resettling outside of the refugee camp. Um it turns out that people are actually pretty happy there. So Halima's house when growing up at the camp was made of mud, sticks and scraps and pretty much anything that her mother could find to build a home. It would be a pretty normal uh, day for her to go to nursery school and return in the afternoon to her entire home washed away. Um, However, the community that she lived with at the camp would come together and always help to rebuild homes so as a child she thrived under the collective care of the community which was for the most part two-thirds women and children so mostly women not not very many men were at the refugee camps it appeared that mo- it was mostly just women and their kids that ended up there and she recalls from her childhood being very um well she recalls her childhood in general being joyful and it was an extremely supportive environment because there were literally like no walls that were keeping you apart from your neighbors it was just like a huge you know neighborhood of people kind of all mixed and matched and helping each other out and helping each other survive for the most part so she was actually a very popular kid and she would often be found roaming the camp with up to 30 playmates at a time all of mixed ages and ethnicities and as an adult, Halima recognizes that the positive stories that she tells of her childhood don't necessarily line up with the stereotypes that people sort of place on like what they would consider to be a tragic refugee lifestyle and um she credits kind of this like positive upbringing due to the fact that her mother worked very very hard to shield her from like any of the hardship that was existing within the refugee camp so her mother was very protective of her you know if shit was hitting the fan she did a really good job of sort of shielding her from those um things that were happening so you know to halima's perspective like life was pretty good there because she was never exposed to any of the bad shit that was happening, if it was happening. Um, at around seven years old, her and her mother were able to leave the Kakuma camp, and they were relocated, um, I believe by the government, to a poverty-stricken, crime-filled neighborhood in St. Louis, Missouri. Jesus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? How? how does someone go from
0: kenya to st louis like who makes a call i'm pretty sure that i i have a feeling that like when you're at a refugee camp and you are looking to get out to the united states it's you just take you it. get placed somewhere and it's one of those things where it's like all right here's it's happening tomorrow pack up your things like you're out so interesting that's where they ended up and obviously as no surprise their new home and community came as a complete shock to her and her mother who were not exactly expecting that to be well they weren't exactly expecting st louis missouri their new neighborhood (laughs) to be worse than the like nurturing refugee camp that they'd come from that's a mouthful that you just said (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) Well, and like she has definitely discussed this before in interviews where people, you know, they say to her, like, oh, wow, Halima, like you were born in a refugee camp in Kenya. And like she's like, yeah, it was, you know, it was great. Like in terms of refugee camps, like my experience, I don't recall it being horrible. Like my neighbors were loving, my friends were loving, we supported each other, we had a great community. And then I was shipped off to St. Louis, Missouri, and it was a fucking shithole. Like, oh my <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's nuts yeah, so she's definitely as an adult, like definite like coined the fact that you know lots of stereotypes can be put on what you know people would consider a refugee camp would be like. But for somebody who grew up in one and experienced it, like she does not have those same negative stereotypes that, you know, other people have placed on it for whatever reason. And so, ironically, She even coins this new neighborhood in in Missouri as the first time in her life that she's ever felt isolated. It was the first time in her life she'd ever heard gunshots, and it was the first time in her life she'd actually wished that her house would have been washed away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, and so uh, sadly, in an interview where she's talking about this, she goes on to say, quote, But did I have fear of malaria? No. So in a way, it was like trading one obstacle for another, which is pretty heavy. How old was she when she got to Missouri? Uh, I think seven. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, while, you know, life in the refugee camp was more positive, they did, of course, have those health concerns of being in the middle of, you know, Kenya, that unfortunately, that that country experiences. So eventually her mother decided to relocate their family to St. Cloud, Minnesota, where they were lucky enough to find a community that was much more similar than the one that they had left from the camp. So when they first arrived, they were very heavily reliant on the community and um, were living off food stamps. And they also for six months had to end up living in a women's shelter while they were there. Um, But her mom, you know, made friends with lots of people in the area who were very kind and they relied on their neighbors to drive them to and from the grocery stores, especially during the brutal Minnesota winters where I'm pretty sure temperatures dropped to like the negatives. Um, So, yeah, so they were very lucky to have people that were supportive of them um, in Minnesota, you know, of all places, and especially them being Somali Uh, and Muslim, so that's very, very, very telling to the area that they ended up in.
1: Um,
0: So Halima's, uh, Halima's popularity picked back right up in the United States, as it was in the refugee camp, and she ended up being voted as the homecoming queen at her high school, which was called Apollo High School in Minnesota. Um, But she does know, regardless of her popularity, that she does recall growing up in the United States, um, having seen and experienced and heard and witnessed a lot of the negative stereotypes of what, I guess, American people consider Muslim women to be like. And so it really bothered her growing up and it definitely upset, upset her and affected her. And she realized like she didn't want to be represented by the people like the Muslim people that were doing bad things and resulting in these negative stereotypes like she didn't want those that category of people to reflect on her experience as a Muslim woman. And so at the same time, she also wasn't seeing anything being done about it. So at this point in her life, when she was a teenager, like she kind of made a decision for herself that she really wanted to make a stand and change the stereotypes around Muslim women. And by doing that, she actually had to become something and, you know, become a positive figure, become a role model so that she could make a stand that fought against those negative stereotypes. So she ended up looking into the miss usa organization because she had heard about them and did some research and knew that they were a company that very much celebrated diversity of beauty and i guess they had been operating at that time for like 65 years or something like that and so to her she thought that was like the great place to start to kind of kickstart this this um campaign of hers to sort of change these negative stereotypes about her religion and her traditions so in 2016 at 19 years old she was currently a freshman in college at saint cloud state university she decided to enter the miss minnesota usa pageant and she Officially became the first contestant in the pageant to wear a burkini and a hijab, and she ended up being a semi finalist. So, Good for her <laughs> in, Minnesota, in Minnesota,
1: in again. Minnesota, but you know, like when you say Miss USA, I never think, oh, a diverse place for women, like that's really not what it's known for in my opinion.
0: For her, it was. And I think, like, I kind of thought about that myself when I was doing my research. Like, as american people that grew up in the united states like i don't think we would ever think of the miss usa pageant as anything that would reflect diversity but from somebody who came from africa in a refugee camp like they might look at that program in the united states as an opportunity to be the one somalian girl that gets to stand up there and represent her her country it might have marketed her yeah in that sense i guess because and so yeah and like i would you know I don't, I don't, I can't, this isn't a fact, but I don't know that other countries have these similar types of, you know, Miss Universe type pageants representations mm-hmm. of women across different countries and you know maybe this is the only one that exists and so for her she thought like this is my chance to stand up for my people and and yes. you know honestly I'm sure she showed up and people were like what the fuck <laughs> like, right like I just think like big hair like
1: who is this chick because even having like short hair in pageants is like oh, wow
0: so edgy so ballsy so for mm-hmm. her to even have like a burkini. It's wild. It is wild. And so that gets to my next point was I thought it at first I didn't even have this in my notes. And I was like, hmm, this is probably worth mentioning. Like for anybody that might not know what these two things are that I mentioned, um, a hijab is a Which I'm probably saying I think it's a hijab, but um, it's a head covering that's worn in public by Muslim women and a burkini is a type of modesty swimsuit that covers the whole body, except for the face, the hands and the feet. But it's still light enough of a material to swim in. So people relate it like similar to wearing a wetsuit with a swimming cap. Mm -hmm. So you're like, you are covered the fuck up. Like it's a, it's a real deal. I've seen Um, it in beaches in Miami. Oh,
1: really? Yeah.
0: Wow. And at first
1: I was like, these women must be dying. It's 97 degrees outside, but I guess if it's breathable material, it's okay. And you can get in the ocean. Um, But yeah, I've definitely seen some in the beaches of like Fort Lauderdale in Miami.
0: Wow. That's really interesting. I've, I've never seen anybody in California with a burkini, Um, But to be totally honest, and I'm sure my friend's going to be mortified, (laughs) a girlfriend of mine who may one day end up on this podcast, um, let's just say she's a little bit more of a fair-skinned white lady. (laughs) Um, She may or may not have red hair, but she had told me (laughs) at one point (laughs) that she heard about a burkini or somebody had told her about a burkini and she was like... I probably need a burkini.
1: <laughs> she's like, I burn every time. <laughs> yes.
0: um, which coincidentally enough, it turned out that the same friend of mine um, introduced me to this woman that I'm covering today. Cool. Props to my friend who will not be named because she'll murder me that I told the entire podcast she needs to wear a burkini. Um <laughs> Yeah, that that just cracks me up and it's just a funny backstory to how I ended up selecting Holima for the podcast. Because <laughs> of a burkini. Yep. Um okay, but then this brings me into the second so obviously Holima is the woman I'm covering today, but I felt like it would have not made sense to go into detail about burkinis if I did not also present the original designer of a burkini because I mean, these didn't just exist all of lifetime. Like somebody had to kind of step up and say like, yo, Muslim women need to be able to go swimming. Like, yeah, they what's get to the enjoy deal? the beach.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And so I, I wanted to take a minute in, the, in this presentation to talk about um, Ahida Zanetti, who is an Australian woman, but she's actually she was born in Lebanon, Lebanon, and she moved to Australia at a pretty young age with her family. But she is actually um, the person who invented a burkini. And prior to preventing the burkini, her first original design was called a hijude, which is meant for women in sports and is basically a hijab with a hood attached to it. So. Um, you'll find lots of athletic Muslim women wearing a hijude. and it it looks pretty much the same thing but it almost has like a long cape that hangs off the back so that was her original uh, design Um, and also you know really the first major fashion statement if not just major stance against you know um muslim women being able to participate in activities that typically haven't been available due to these types of clothing restrictions like she is really kind of the person that that kickstarted this campaign of hey you know muslim women and people that typically wear hijabs they should be able to do other activities just like swimming or playing sports or whatever and and we don't really have um at this point in time uh, any type of clothing that would you know, be, be able to allow them to do those activities while also not being disrespectful of the religion and the culture and traditions. And so she created that hijab. That was the first thing she did. It was a huge hit. It took off. People were stoked as fuck. And then she was like, all right, well, what's next? And that's where the burkini came into play. So very, very exciting, um, you know, statement that, ahida was able to bring into the world for that demographic of women and i'll get into it a little bit later but it's really really taken off especially with halima being kind of this new face of muslim women in fashion um there's since then tons of new designers have come into play who are you know, creating this like fashion world for modesty. And it's like this new up and coming thing. Um, there's a couple of different, um, uh, fashion shows in London that exist literally for this realm of people. And it's, it's not specific to Muslim women. It's also just uh, specific to groups of women that actually value modesty. Like it, they, 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 they want people to know like this isn't just about religion it's also just about the fact that like women can exist and appreciate and value modesty and we can also do it fashionably and like have you know this area for us who believe and you know want to live this lifestyle like it's not bad and at the same time we can have it and be fashionable as well so I think it's super cool it's kind of part of the reason why halima is so big right now because she's kind of opened this door to this realm of fashion and woman that didn't really have a place prior to her so that's very very exciting um but to get back on track to the story her mother was strongly against her entering the pageant <laughs> understandably i get it and her reasoning was that she felt it would not only distract her from school but that her burkini was too skimpy which let's be real if, i mean all you got to do is a quick google search right now burkinis are
1: not like skimpy. i already
0: described basically a wetsuit with a cap <laughs> like i i mean fuck dude if that's skimpy like the rest of us are committing like committing worldwide crimes like i don't even know it's it's because maybe it was tight it's not even tight it's not even tight, and like it's they like a also wets it with a dress on. Yeah, basically, because it's the wetsuit, and then they'll wrap this like beautiful shawl around it to make right. it like more more pretty. I think so, maybe it was the idea behind it. I mean, I think it's also the fact that literally not a single Muslim woman had done anything like this, and her daughter did. <laughs> so she, was, she like, was like,
1: let me come up with an excuse to get her not to do it. Yeah,
0: I think it was definitely very alarming for her mother to, especially think of it like her mother was born and raised Somalia she literally had to flee a Somalian war she ended up in a refugee camp where she gave birth to her daughter and her husband never was seen again after apparently dying in the war which was never confirmed he just vanished oh that's terrible Yeah, so it's like, I mean, and then they get this opportunity to go to the United States, and the first thing her daughter does at 19 years old is perform in a pageant pageant. where she is in a burkini, which has literally never happened in the entire history of Muslim women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so her mom's like, uh, yeah, no thanks. (laughs) She's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like, I didn't bring you over here to the United States to be fucking dancing on a stage and, you know... A, a, what we consider a bathing suit, (laughs) yeah, and like
1: a beauty pageant. I mean, even my parents were like, "Nah, you're not doing beauty pageants." I was like, "Come on!"
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely very radical. And like, I think even in the Muslim world in general, beauty for women isn't something that's highly celebrated or promoted. I mean, considering. The tradition being most of their bodies covered and like mm-hmm. you know protected from the the view of the common day people to think that somebody would then enter in a pageant even in those conditions like it, it's a huge statement it's massive and like she fucking did it in minnesota at 19 years old so Like I said, her mom wasn't that stoked about it. And she, you know, it wasn't really something that people were happy about. But because of that, like I already mentioned, she ended up a semifinalist in the pageant. And she also received national media attention, which led to her being interviewed by local Minnesota media, to which she told the media or the reporter that. The whole reason why she entered the pageant was that she wanted to represent Muslim women and counter the stereotypical image that they were oppressed. And she specifically noted that the hijab is a symbol of Muslim women that they wear on their heads, but she wanted the general public to know that it's her actual choice to wear it, especially being in the United States. You know, she probably doesn't have to wear it while living in the United States. Like sure she might get a little backlash from other people in the community that do wear them. But at this point, being in the US, she she can wear it or she can't wear it. It's up to her. It becomes a choice and she took yeah. the choice. And the choice was that she still wants to wear it and she's also gonna attend a beauty pageant and she's gonna keep doing what she wants to do, regardless of, you know, whether people find it strange or not. And so this this skyrocketed across the us like it was everywhere and within a year so that happened in 2016 within the next year in 2017 she was offered a modeling contract with img models um which she accepted it was a three-year contract and she made a note in her contract that her hijab was non-negotiable and it would be part of every single shoot she ever did so i sure i'll sign this modeling contract i will wear my hijab in every single photo that will ever happen good for her yeah, yeah. um so following that she caught the eye of designer kareen Rotefield, who flew her to new york to shoot the cover of cr fashion book alongside Gigi hadid paris jackson and legendary photographer, Mario Sorrenti. Holy Um, shit. So she was in an interview talking about this experience and she cracks up because she says, you know, Mario's direction to her was, give me sexy. (laughs) To which she recalls basically being, like, a deer in headlights because she didn't have a single clue as to even what he was talking about. She didn't understand fashion lingo, and she had, like, never been in, like, the presence of a photographer in her life. So she was just, like, dirt, like, what the fuck? what
1: is sexy in every in a culture that's so different, you know? Yes. <laughs> like sexy to Muslim women probably is something completely different or even non-existent.
0: Yeah. So she was, you know, I mean it couldn't have been a larger culture shock for her. Um and um because of this weird awkward experience, she ended up going home and she prepared for her newfound modeling career by watching every single fucking episode of America's Next Hot Mom. Yes!
1: <laughs> Hell yes! Oh my god, I, lo- I love also- that show. Also, like, who didn't? Yes. Absolutely. Up until, like, a ser- like I think like season 14 I was like down <laughs> with ANTM. <laughs>
0: season 14. It took you like 14 years to be over ANTM right? Listen the <laughs> second they brought out the shorties I was so down. I was like yeah my people <laughs> yeah it gave and, me you know, hope also like so smart on her like i'm not gonna lie we were all watching america's next top model and we were watching those shoots and those instructions and those faces like uh yeah i know how to smile with my eyes <laughs> <laughs> some hashtag smile <laughs> so yeah that was how she studied to become a model after she'd already been signed a model is good that not cra- crazy, Dude, too? Good for her. <laughs> so, that, yeah. That's, that's what a life. Yes, good for her. Yeah, insane. Um, but without surprise, um, she was largely criticized by members of the Muslim community mm-hmm. who saw modeling as what they called haram, um, which means forbidden uh, by Islamic law. Um, She also admitted uh, in an interview that she was actually very scared to put herself out there in the modeling world because she assumed that she would get some type of backlash from the community. However, she didn't know what that would be like or the extent of it. And that even two days before the stupid Miss fucking USA pageant, she considered backing out, which like I mean, that sucks. Like to have those kind of level of nerves of like, oh my God, what is like, what is the Muslim world going to say if I, if I actually attend this pageant and do well to which she did. (laughs) I'm so glad
1: she did because I mean, again, I don't want to stereotype, but from what, you know, like if you look at Malala, she got shot for wanting to go to school. So it could be a very radical, you've got your radical believers and, and what she's doing is extremely radical so i think it took a lot of courage for
0: her to even just go through with it oh absolutely and she even told the newspapers at the time quote you don't let being the first to do it stop you which boom that- bitch that's right <laughs> 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 Um, But I think really interesting to know is that even seven months into her new modeling career, she was still working as a part-time housekeeper in Minnesota. Um, And today, she still has very strict requirements that align with her religious beliefs and traditions. Um, So, for example, she requests a pop-up tent backstage at every single show so she can change into her outfits and privacy. And she also has noted that she's never once been made to feel uncomfortable and that no one has ever set her apart or made her feel like an outsider because of this. And honestly, that's shocking. (laughs) It is shocking. I'm really, really surprised by that. But at the same time, we are in a much more acceptable world, I think. Well, and also, we're talking about 2017. So that is a couple of years ago. So, like, sure. I mean, I guess that is less surprising. um, But, I mean, even in maybe 2000, that wouldn't have been possible.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, I have a friend that's a model and just recently posted something about you know her having to put her foot down and people making her feel like oh it's normal to change in front of photographers and the whole crew and she said no like this doesn't make me feel comfortable i'm not going to do it and it it, it's still to this day like a really difficult industry to be in Mm -hmm. as a woman
0: yeah and so you know we'll get into more of this before i finish but i think that in a sense halima is really paving like a new way in the modeling world that might not have been possible or existed or even been suggested if somebody with her type of religion and traditions didn't come in and demand it yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. because like if you think of modeling historically like you know even back in you know years ago like we think of models and for the most part they were you know young vulnerable showing up to shoots you know messing around with the wrong groups getting and heavy used. they were getting heavily into drugs they were you know not eating they were do- taking photographs that maybe weren't comfortable with them but they thought that it was their big break and they had to do it like the industry alone has has been cutthroat for women and to think that Halima you know with you know just the fact of who she is can come in and you know start making changes just based off of her 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 beliefs is is enormous it's huge just think about like the the level of power and
1: how great did people think like she was worth honoring everything that she put in her contract because if, some, if you see somebody that's like not worth it, they'll be like, well, I don't fucking think so, and then just maybe drop them. So there must have been something so special, sp- special and radiant about Halima for her to make everyone in the industry really truly honor her contract and, and everything that she set down. I mean...
0: Right? Well, That's incredible. it's incredible. It's great that you even say that now, because the next thing I'm about to tell you is extremely cool. Ah. So, <laughs> in, two, in 2017, she made her debut at, like, her major fashion debut at New York Fashion Week for Yeezy Season 5. And Whoa. by Yeezy... <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> First of all, I'm not a huge fan of his clothing line. It's a little Hunger Games apocalypse, but a I mean, potato sack-y. <laughs> it's a little bit potato sacky. But I mean, she made the casting call for Kanye West in 2017 New York Fashion Week. That is fucking enormous. Um, yeah. and the interesting part about this is that she recalls that you know the first outfit that she was presented with was far too short it was cut above her knee and she knew flat out right then and there that it was not going to work and it was not going to happen and when she was wearing this outfit she had a moment where she thought to herself you know i would i would be a much happier person if i walked away from this opportunity and you know didn't wear this outfit Than if I forced this outfit on my body and walked the runway and felt completely uncomfortable during that entire experience. Yeah. So she she walked away. (laughs) And she went she went back to her hotel room. She was super disappointed, very upset, very sad to have walked away from that opportunity, given how huge that fucking would have been for her career. But she stood to her grounds and she, she, she walked away from it. And while she was upset and disappointed, she was also very confident in the decision that she had made. And without her having to say one motherfucking word to anybody about it, she got called back and was told that they had selected a different outfit for her that would fit what would make her comfortable. So she went back, she tried it on, And it was perfect. And she walked that motherfucking runway. That's a level of high, like, big dick
1: energy that she (laughs) gave. Big ovary energy that she gave for them to be like, we found you a different outfit. Because anybody else, they would have been like, fuck that girl. That's how special this girl is. It's insane. It's insane. Because (laughs) literally, like, I love fashion and I like... I I wanted to be a part of it for such a long time that like I really know the ins and outs of it and how brutal and, and mean it could be. And you're worthless to almost everyone. Like literally everyone's worthless to you unless you really prove yourself otherwise. So for them to just go back and say, hey, we found you another outfit shows how incredibly powerful this girl is.
0: Yeah, and I almost wonder if a large part of that, like I'd me- like I'd mentioned earlier, is that you know the modeling industry in general has kind of left women very desperate for any opportunity they can get, mm-hmm. and maybe she's one of the first people to be like, Nah, I'm good. Like I'm out, you know, and maybe there's like an element to that kind of like, like boundary setting or headstrong perspective or somebody that, you know, is stubborn and, you know, not going to lessen their, their values. Maybe that's the appeal. And it's, it's nuts because, you know, this modeling has been going on for decades and we're in 2017 and it took, a Muslim woman who said "You know, she wasn't going to wear anything above the knee to start changing that. It's completely nuts. It's nuts. Um, but she coins this moment as being one of the most pivotal moments in her entire life and obviously her modeling career. And um, it was one of these moments where she realized that the fashion world was willing to make room for her instead of asking her to change to fit their needs. So, later in 2017, she served as a preliminary and telecast judge of the Miss USA 2007 pageant. Um, She has also walked for numerous designers, including Max Mara and Albert Ferretti. She has also participated in the 2016 Milan Fashion Week, as well as the London Modest Fashion, which I described earlier. It's a a fashion show featuring trends of women wearing less revealing clothes, whether that's due to spiritual reasons or personal preference. And in June 2017, she became the first hijab-wearing model on the cover of Vogue Arabia, Allure, and British Vogue. And then this was the part that made me laugh when I was listening to your story about Audrey. In June 2017, oh, sorry, in 2018, she became a UNICEF ambassador where her work is focused around children's rights. She hopes to one day return back to the Kakuma camp to inspire hope for a new life beyond the camp. And when she was talking about this topic in an interview, she said, quote, I couldn't tell you what that would have meant to me as a six or seven year old. Like, wait, there's life outside these walls. Hopefully, it's not going to be so rare to see kids from the camps grow up and become teachers, lawmakers, presidents, and CEOs of Fortune five hundred companies. There's really talent everywhere. Um, I and love then, that. right? I love that. I mean, that. she's the poster child for it. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, like, just imagine her going back to her camp and, like, pointing out the area that her hut used to exist and saying, like, hey, I was your age when I left here. And that's so inspiring. You know, now this is what I'm doing and I'm back here to, to tell you guys it's possible. Like, I couldn't imagine even being a child in that environment and seeing somebody who got out and made a name for themselves. Like, absolute inspiration. Um, And then in 2019, she became the first model to wear a hijab and a burkini in Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. So she stated in her Instagram page that her appearance in Sports Illustrated sent a message to both her community and the world that women of all different backgrounds, looks, and upbringings can stand together and be celebrated. Which, I mean i'm sorry but for her to be wearing a full body full coverage burkini in a male uh, focused sports (laughs) illustrated magazine where typically the girls have like nipple pasties and thongs like just body pains i can't even (laughs) tell you what the fuck that states about where we're going in our culture today yes like how far we've come as a society
1: and we really like as women have stood our ground that's
0: major but also i'm like it makes me wonder about the editors and the creators of sports illustrated like they must also have a vision where you know they have to start considering the future and what that looks like and like what kind of role do they play in reshaping those ideas of beauty and sexual standards like Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition is basically a step down from Playboy. <laughs> like, yes,
1: absolutely. It is it is sexualized bathing suits. And I remember loving that issue because I love looking at the swimwear that the models were wearing and like looking it up to see if I could afford it. The answer was always no but (laughs) it 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 is so it is so great and almost satisfying to know that like as sexualized as that as that magazine is they want to continue moving forward with with what women are standing for now
0: yeah and like I think there has to be an element of like you know, create like representing this type of woman with the intent to show men that there are alternatives to beauty standards. Right. It's beauty standards
1: are so different around the world and it is just not one size fits all. And I love that. I love that she was able to be a part of that.
0: But I think it also like sends a message that, you know, this girl doesn't have to be half naked, you know, with a wet swim, a wet white swimsuit top with nipples perked out for you to feel sexually attracted. Like, you know, she can be in a burkini and and be like wearing this beautiful fashion gown in the water. Like, I don't know. I think like it's even there's just something about um, them at least trying to make an effort to manipulate the male mind so you know it's not just about naked white women all the time (laughs) (laughs) I mean for real I mean not that men fucking matter that you know the, the we're all just here to make them horny in some element but I mean I think you know it is I think there is something about it to where you know if they are featuring Halima in her bikini they're trying to get another message across and it's like, even though we've, you know, for decades have been known to put one type of woman in here, we're trying to make a statement that there are others and they're also beautiful and they're also attractive and absolutely can be sexy and stuff like that. So, um, also very radical for her to have done that. <laughs> yeah. But very you know radical. What? I've always loved the sort
1: of the feminist movement where women just own their sexuality as they want to own it and represent it. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes the feminist world gets sort of mis- misinterpreted that like, oh, then you, you have to be a prude or like sexuality is no longer part of you. And, and I think that's, you know, I think this is Halima representing her own sexuality in that way because Sports Illustrated, in a sense, is a very sexual magazine. But she was like, I can be sexual in my own way with my bikini and fully covered. And I can still represent my sexuality as a woman and really put myself out there. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, women do get to be sexual. And I think they do get to be... Naked if they want to be naked, you know? Covered as they want to be covered, as long as you know you are representing yourself in the way that you want to be. Mm -hmm. So I think it's beautiful that Halima got a part to even represent her sexuality and still honor her culture, her religion, and her beliefs all in one and get into a magazine that's all about sexuality. And I think it's misinterpreted that sexuality is just like sex and raunchy and disgusting. Mm -hmm. And here it is, a beautiful woman representing her sexuality you know and i haven't seen the shoot but i'm imagining her like in the water looking just absolutely stunning
0: oh yeah and it's very tropical esque. like she's wearing this like beautiful turquoise and like you know like a very tropical colored burkini and she looks gorgeous and she's like laying horizontal on the sand with like water coming through but it's totally classy and it it's just great it's fucking fantastic she has a whole hijab on like she looks beautiful. And I feel like that's kind of the, the cool part about it is it's like she looks stunning and she's sprawled out on the sand in the ocean and it's, it's actually really not sexualized. It's just beautiful. And like, that's very cool. Um, So to take a short detour and turn of events, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was this bit of info that I had to throw in at some point um i didn't know where i should insert it and it's partly because i don't have a ton of information on it and i could barely find more information than what i could find which is all of two sentences but um somehow <laughs> her fucking dad appeared from the dead shut and- up <laughs> And that motherfucker ended up making contact with her and her mother once they'd come back from the United States. I don't know when that happened. I don't know if it happened immediately when she was seven years old and got, you know, to Missouri. I don't know if it happened in St. Cloud, Minnesota, or if it happened when she, you know, started to receive fame, you know, more in her early 20s. But that motherfucker popped back from the dead and was like, yo, turned out I didn't die in the war. My God! What's cracking, yeah. homies? He's like, I've been here all along, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would imagine. I mean, again, I don't, I don't have any other information other than the fact that he did reappear. He made contact. They communicated. However, he eventually ended up dying, like, for real, for real, <laughs> before, before her, Halima, and him could end up developing any type of real relationship. Mm. So I don't want to make any type of assumptions because I do not have the facts, but it, he did not come back into their lives until they'd made it back to the united states so there's a few things that could have happened one he could have found out through the refugee camp where they were sent into the united states and been able to make contact that way through the government if they if he was able to collect that information or he ended up finding out that she'd gained fame at some point in the us and reached out then i don't know but you know yeah. It is very interesting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I got to fucking throw that in there somewhere. So, today, Halima is entering the fashion designing world. And she's currently, um, well, she has collaborated with and is currently has a line with the clothing brand called, um, oh, fuck, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's Modena- Modeniza, Modeniza. Um, yeah, so, Modeniza. Yeah, Modeniza. So she's designed her own turban and shawl collection, which currently consists of 47 different pieces, and she's made a note on her her line that her collection is for everybody, regardless of whether they wear a hijab or not. Um, she's also pursuing opportunities in fashion activism. So this month, uh, she was announced as the new face of the British accessory brand called Bottle Top, which actually gained um, a lot of media coverage in 2002 when it positioned itself as a sustainable luxury brand so its handbags and clutches are made from sustainable leather and upcycled metal ring pulls which have helped alleviate poverty in brazil nepal and kenya so she's very much involved with that brand in fact she's actually an ambassador for the brand and she's helped coin the hashtag together brand which is a compa- uh, which is a campaign that raises awareness for the un sustainable development goals Which, let's face it, Halima is probably one of the few celebrities in the general public media today who can even relate personally to the UN Sustainable Development Goals.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So there's like
0: 17 goals total that this campaign is working to, you know, resolve in today's day. And so she was coined one of the faces and the ambassadors to help kind of push some of those messages along. Um, she has also, um, some, one of the things that she's also noted about her career is, um, the fact that she finds it completely shocking in general that she's even been allowed to have a global career in fashion, um, and that she thinks it's proof that the industry itself is increasingly open to diversity. She's only five foot five which is extremely petite for a model
1: Yeah,
0: she was is and was a resident of minnesota so far from the industry capitals of new york london paris or milan and she is somali and was born and raised in a refugee camp and she's muslim and wears a hijab so you know even today in 2020 she's looking back at the last few years of her life in this industry and is shell-shocked herself to be like i don't know how this happened the only explanation that me even being where i am could be is that the industry is at a point where it's ready to just allow this to happen like it's it's time it's time to diverse like diversify the industry to allow different faces and backgrounds into this world um probably with the intent to normalize you know different people and different different backgrounds so she she's not you know numb to the fact that this is very 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 uncommon for the modeling world um and to end on a quote she has said quote in the fact that i'm able to do runway the fact that i have graced these magazine covers and wear a hijab on top of that be who i am have my identity wear it proudly i think fashion is doing a beautiful job oh i love that and that's her story
1: that's that's so refreshing to hear that (laughs) isn't it yeah it It, and i love that the tie to unicef that's great i love that
0: (laughs) i know it's super super cool and like even the fact i mean audrey and her did not have similar upbringings but it definitely was unconventional you know and that was kind of what I thought was really cool because Audrey came from this insane war constricted world where her neighbors were dying and she was part of a resistance and you know it was not you know she was starving at one point in her life and it, it wasn't normal anything she was going through was not a normal happy life and then later she ends up you know in in as an actress and now she's this she's been this coined this famous hollywood actress where you know halima was born in a refugee camp and her house was destroyed by you know water storms or who knows what on a regular basis and she lived in that shithole fucking poverty town of missouri and it's just strange how like life can start one way and lead to something so insane but then the cool thing about them both is that you know regardless of how their life started and like the fame and the you know the fortune they got in their their later lives it's still brought them back to unicef it still turned them back around and it grounded them and it reminded them where they'd come from and like what was important and regardless of you know how their lives had improved later in life they never ever forgot you know giving back in that way and i think that is so fucking cool and that's kind of why i thought you know even though they came from different time periods and had different stories that same kind of timeline and path is very similar to each other Absolutely. And I also think that they both represent
1: a path of hope and that your past does not dictate your present or your future. It really is up to you to become a better person. You know, you see, you hear of so many kids are or like people that are doing drugs or really are just in such a bad place in their lives and they're like, oh, well, I had a terrible upbringing and to me, it's like, well, you found that as an excuse to really end up where you are or you could just really take what you grew up with and find a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you could have that self-pity and be like, Halima could have gone to, you know, Missouri and been like, well, this fucking sucks. So I'm just going to get in with the bad kids and do drugs and get pregnant at 19. But right. she was like, yeah. But she was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up for my people and really like show america what muslim women are all about and i think that's beautiful yeah she really could have gone down a really shitty path and she chose otherwise so i think it it really is not our bringing or our past it's just really our will to live good lives that brings all these women to where they are Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i thought yeah she's incredible also she's only 23 right now
1: so wild
0: you know i looked up her instagram and
1: she's got the most beautiful fucking face i know she's so beautiful
0: really does she's gorgeous um also i just one other thing that i think is pretty cool about her is i mean she's she's somalian and i I don't know i don't want to be an ignorant american chick but i don't know much about somalia other than the fact that it's corrupt and filled with pirates (laughs) And, like, I mean, for the most part, Somalia does not get a pretty good rep. Like, it's not known as one of the greatest places in the world, even today. It's still very radicalized and, you know, not not as civilianized and you know i was looking at a youtube video of her and she was talking about her her i mean because she was born in kenya so she doesn't have extremely close ties to her home country her her parents are obviously from there and that's her nationality but she did she did note that like especially in part of unicef and and, you know going back to the kakuma camp and stuff and trying to make change she really really wants to also be somewhat of a name if not an image and representation of somalia in general and be like yeah. you know i am somalian and i you know i'm here to help create you know positivity around the world for people from my country and my religion and my background and so if anything i think there's another element of her just being this um you know, face of an area that for the most part doesn't have the greatest stigma attached to it. And so who knows what kind of changes she could potentially make for that country throughout the rest of her life. Like she's only 23 years old. Like there's still so, so much time and decades for her to actually make a lot of really positive changes for not only underprivileged people, but, you know, more poverty stricken areas that whether it be Kenya or the refugee camp or wherever, but she can definitely do some shit. And I I mean, the fact that she's already started at 23 and what she's already accomplished, I can only imagine what's more to come from her. So that's very, very exciting. That's so cool. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it other than if you're able to guess a zodiac sign, but you totally don't have to. (laughs) Okay, so like I pulled up a chart and I wanted to
1: make sure I knew sort of the personality traits from everybody um so my two guesses are well I'm gonna say my first guess would be at the beginning I kept thinking maybe she's a Gemini um but then I was like maybe she's a Scorpio
0: well, they are both excellent guesses. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they are wrong. Wrong. Okay. Um, honestly, I actually, like, based off of the story that I've told, I don't. I feel like, and that's the like kind of the trouble with young people is that it's easier to guess zodiac signs when you have like a whole life to reflect on. <laughs> right, a whole um, story. But there's probably like, f- you know, 30 to 40 years of her life that haven't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to be honest, if I, it, even as much as I love the astrology, I don't know that I would have been able to have guessed this. And I also don't really see much of this sign in her yet, but... She is a Virgo, and she was born oh. on September seventeenth, nineteen
1: ninety-seven. That's my sister's um,
0: birthday. Is it really?
1: Yeah, my oh sister, sister God. September seventeenth. How yeah. cool!
0: That's awesome. Also, it's not too far from Libra, so. That's kind of, like, I think once you get into the September 20 area, you're kind of on the, the, <laughs> the brink of maybe being a Libra or having some Libra you, qualities. You go so... girl, get
1: some Libra in you.
0: <laughs> she might have a little bit of that resonating her.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't... It's hard to say. I think, like, the only major, like, Virgo qualities of her might just be that, um... She's like kind of like a can't stop, won't stop mentality, which I think like all earth signs are. They're very like headstrong and I wouldn't even say stubborn is the right word, but they're kind of, they're, you know, they, they are headstrong. Like that's kind of it. Like they have an idea and they have a plan and they're, they're pretty much kind of unstoppable after that. Um, So that might be kind of the only personality trait that I see of her yet that could lead to that zodiac sign but you
1: know her whole thing at the Kanye West show was like I won't wear that I'm going home that's where I
0: go yeah she's just like fuck you it's my way or the highway but it's also not even always in a um You know, it's not always like, it's my way or no way about, you know, what we're eating for dinner today. It's usually about, like, things that fucking matter. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) They're not always that way about everything. It's kind of like, no, like, I have, like, specific standards and morals that I believe in, and I'm not going to budge. And so I think that's probably the most telling part of her story in her life that would lead to that, that, that zodiac sign. But to be honest, i I kind of would have guessed that she would have been more of a cancer, which is funny because I thought Audrey was a cancer. A cancer. (laughs) But um, because they're typically known as, like, the sign that, like, paves the way. Like, specifically in in tarot decks, they're known as the chariot, which is this, like, uh, you know carriage of horses running like charging ahead and mm-hmm. that's kind of how cancers are they they're kind of like the first to do something and then they open up this pathway for everybody to follow so that i would have probably had guessed that if i didn't know um but she's a virgo
1: Interesting. Very interesting. And she has
0: my sister's birthday. Yeah, so that's I thought so cool. Scorpio
1: because she's like determined and forceful, but not in like an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought maybe Gemini because she's adaptable, and I think it takes somebody that's very adaptable to come into a new society. Um, and I and I get that. I almost I identify with that coming into the United States at a young age, thinking my world is just going to be the same in a different country. I was in the fifth grade and I was like shocked, culture shocked when people didn't accept me for being Mexican and I used to get made fun of. I was like, What the hell's going on? Like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, What? I lived a privileged life in Mexico. What is this? Yeah. And and my whole thing was like adapt, adapt, adapt. And you but at the same time I sort of buried who I was, who my culture is, and I'm trying to get back deep to my roots and I think I, I really admire Halima for saying well this is who I am and I'm gonna make it work in this really rough society
0: mm-hmm.
1: which yeah. America is not easy to be honest like it's a great country and we have the American dream but only if you fit a certain mold and if you don't then you gotta really fight for it and really carve your way into into what what society should look like and you say like well I'm different but I also deserve the same rights so it's really admiring for for her to be so young and to do this.
0: Well, yeah. And then I can't help but think about that day where she walked into the pageant, exactly who she was and as she looked and was like, here I am representing Somalia. Like, yeah. What? Like I could what not even fuck? imagine at 16 years old having that kind of courage. And uh, sorry, it wasn't 16. She was 19. It was 2016, I think. Still the level of confidence um, that you must have in order to believe that you can do it. I mean, at 19 years old, I was literally at raves doing ecstasy. So it's like, (laughs) fuck, you know, (laughs) like this is like the level of, you know, maturity and strength and just she's just she had goals and she had a plan and they were real and they were they mattered. And, you know, that's very admirable at an age of 19 when kids in America today are just barely, you know, getting started in the dorms in college and just being dicks. Like, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So she's pretty fucking cool. Um, Very excited about her, excited to see what she does and what she brings to the table throughout the rest of her life yeah. and career.
1: I'm going to keep an eye on her, and I also love that she just studied America's Next Up Model like if it was in college <laughs> course. Fuck yeah. <laughs>
0: right? Isn't that amazing?
1: All I wanted was to be a part of it. And then when the shorty season came up, I was like, this is my time to shine. But I wasn't a U.S. US citizen then. And I was so pissed because it was part of the rules for you to even apply. I was like, no, my dream. Oh, my God. (laughs) But then at the same time, I'm like, I'm so glad my dream didn't come true. Right. uh, And uh, I could never look back and see myself in a reality TV show trying to be a model.
0: No. That that had to have been, that couldn't have been good. (laughs) It just just couldn't have been good. Well, I feel like, is that it? We wrap it up? I think so. I think we covered everything. We covered everything. You fucking got me to my 38th episode. I'm two away from 40. It's huge. I'm so excited. excited. You know, I'll be back in a heartbeat. I'm here until (laughs) April
1: 30th, absolutely eating shit. So you call me. (laughs) Wait, what happens after April 30th? I'm hoping to get my job back to normal. Oh, and to work, cause yes. Because I'm only working two days a week. Oh, man. Yeah. Collecting unemployment like the rest of America right now. It's fun.
0: Ugh.
1: What a disaster. It's a disaster, but I'm just, like, trying to be, like, hopeful. I mean, like, worst comes to worst, I get evicted and move back to my sister's in Florida. That's my plan B. So, And work at Trader Joe's. There's always one hot guy at Trader Joe's. Dude,
0: I mean, it's so funny, because I was just talking to my other friend. I was like, well, I guess this might lead to my one ultimate dream of working at Trader Joe's. Like- we have excellent <laughs> benefits, Melissa. We but- should work at Trader Joe's. <laughs> Bruce, Everyone seems happy. <laughs> well, then I was thinking about it, I'm like, I've worked in corporate retail long enough. That like I should be able to at least apply for a management role. Like, just yeah, to I'm, say I can't be a general manager of a Trader Joe's? I manage a European Wax Center. I was like, I can <laughs> handle this grocery store. Oh my God! Remember when I gave you a referral at a European Wax Center? Yes,
1: you did. And then people <laughs> gave you attitude. That was wild. Again, that was me at rock bottom. So look at
0: me now. <laughs> You know what? You know what? We've we've all been at various rock bottoms throughout our lives. I Absolutely. for sure as fuck have. Like, I remember your story about like you're like I'm not.
1: I don't need college. I'ma sell bagels, and they're like, you want to do porn? You're like, I gotta go back to college. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yup,
1: dude. That's my favorite story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Listen, life's been weird, and it's all, it will always continue to get weirder and stranger, and it's just like, you gotta roll with the punches, and who knows what's gonna happen. I could be laid off at any day, and I will be right in the same boat as everyone else. It's pretty yeah. wild. I, I, I always say, I was
1: like, never believe that anything's beneath you. Just fucking go with it and survive,
0: and you'll get above
1: it eventually. That's just the
0: way it is, you know? Like, are you guys on a full lockdown, right, in New Jersey? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, we can still go to grocery stores, but... But you can't, like, go to parks or shit like that? Some parks
1: you can, some parks you can't. I don't want to believe, like, it's, like, Doomsday, I and mean, it is weird to stand in line for 20 minutes to just get a box of tampons, but... It is what it is. I feel like, I mean, like, what, what am I going to do? And... Okay, I can't go to a park. Then I'll just walk around my blocks and hide in my neighborhood drunk. Yeah, like, what up? I'm
0: drunk too. <laughs> for just, real. I mean. We're all drunk. <laughs> we aren't living in Nazi Germany right now. And we aren't in refugee camps in Kenya. So Right, like I'm not going to get shot for peeping out my window or going out for a walk. So I'm just going <laughs> to sort of chill. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we have lots of TV to watch as well yeah. as I'm going to be searching for all the Audrey movies on Amazon Prime. Yes roman holidays also on prime
1: and that's like it's academy award winning and if you can watch trumbo also then you can tie them both together absolutely recommend it
0: awesome all right i'm doing it i'm doing it i'm doing it, right, doing this it. Is so fun i'll be back whenever you have me thank you so much for joining you fucking killed it oh i'm a natural <laughs> um but you have listened to like all the episodes so you probably you've you were prepared you were well prepared i was like how do they <laughs> speak there's like a conversation
1: <laughs> so ready
0: <laughs> well thank you so much for being my 38th guest and you are welcome to return at any fucking time there are endless women to cover lots of libras to be covered <laughs> whenever you're ready let me know well- Thanks for having me. This
1: was so fun and I'll be happy to be back anytime.
0: Woohoo! <laughs> um, all right, well, we are signing the motherfuck off.
1: Bye guys. Bye! Bye!
0: Bye.